Hey there, and welcome back to Crypto Clarified, investing in the truth. This is a podcast series where we come together to discuss the most captivating headlines and trends from the crypto space. My name is Benjamin Dean. I'm director in Wisdom Tree's digital assets team. And today I've got the pleasure of being joined by two guests. Soon Sorensen is the managing director for asset management at Bespoke Services. And Matt McClintock is also here, founder and executive managing director also at Bespoke Services. Uh, before I ask them to introduce themselves and, and explain a bit of what Bespoke does, uh, we've got a bit of housekeeping to do. Social media shout outs. Anyone can find me on the Bird app at Benjamin Dean. If you're in the US, join the waitlist for Wisdom Tree Prime, wisdomtreeprime.com. You won't be disappointed. And for those of you who are listening or watching, hit that subscribe button, whether it's YouTube, Spotify, Apple, whatever, subscribe. And this arrives in your phone or your device as we release episodes. You don't have to do anything. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about wealth and asset management, but perhaps not in the way that you would usually think about it. I'm going to ask Soon and Matt to introduce themselves and Bespoke to kick things off. And uh, then we're going to enter a, a long discussion. We're going to start with stepping back and looking at the events of the past decade or so, why the crypto space emerged. Uh, and then uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Dogecoin millionaires. Something has happened recently, which has meant that people now turn up and need asset and wealth management advice from experts because they have too much crypto. Uh, that has whole kinds of implications that aren't obvious. And so Matt and Soon are going to run us through how you navigate cross-border and jurisdictional implications for managing crypto wealth. And then to finish, as always, we're going to talk a bit about the future and what developments we see on the horizon. Before we kick off, though, I have to do the usual shout out to James and Sam in compliance. We love compliance here. I need to state the following. To clarify, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Wisdom Tree and Bespoke Services and are subject to change. Anything we present in this podcast is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast, research, nor as investment or tax advice. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast are not a recommendation, offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities and reliance upon them is at the sole discretion of the listener. Please remember past performance is no indication of future results. Right then, now onto the fun stuff. Matt and Soon, thank you very much for joining me. It's a pleasure to have you here. This whole thing has come about because one day I was being obnoxious on the Bird app, saying that uh, I was tired of meeting private bankers in Switzerland who don't like crypto. And Soon uh, kindly jumped in and said, well, you're hanging out with the wrong Swiss bankers, Ben. And uh, that got us to talking. I followed your stuff for, for a, quite a while now, actually. And it's great to have you both here. Uh, to kick things off, Matt, I might invite you to uh, introduce yourself, a bit of your background and, and bespoke, and then soon I'll, I'll hand over to you. Thanks, Benjamin. Really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. Um, yeah, so my background is in complex estate planning law. I'm based here in the United States, uh, and for the last 22 years, my career has focused exclusively on complex wealth transfer planning, tax mitigation, asset protection, and all that kind of stuff for affluent families. Um, several years ago, it was actually the fourth quarter of 2017, we got our first uh, Bitcoin centimillionaire. That's you know an individual who had over $150 million worth of wealth in Bitcoin and um, hadn't thought about it, didn't know anything about Bitcoin, didn't know anything about crypto at the time. But um, I figured out that there was some really interesting challenges and some opportunities in planning for people, doing estate planning for people with this really unusual type of asset class. And uh, I got to know that client quite well, 
started taking on more clients with significant crypto asset holdings through 2018, 2019. And it really created an opportunity for us to build Bespoke, which uh, has become a multifamily office focused on first generation successful entrepreneurs with a special focus on crypto assets. And it was in that context that I got to know Sune and, and his team in Switzerland. And through a series of uh, progressive conversations, we decided that we would join forces and form a, a fully regulated kind of cross-border multifamily office for clients, especially clients with significant crypto assets. Excellent. There you go. Spotting opportunities as they just come out of the wild. It's uh, fascinating stuff. It definitely didn't happen 15 years ago because there was no Bitcoin. Uh, and uh, how interesting to hear uh, that creeping out of California there, uh, these opportunities come up soon. You're, you're in Switzerland and uh, you also have an interesting background. How about you introduce yourself and, and what you do? With so the yes, good to be with you, Ben, and, and your audience, obviously. Um, so yeah, probably around 15, I've been probably doing sort of cross-asset, asset management uh, for 15 years, mainly out of a sort of Swiss model. The Swiss model tends to take um, the mixture of wealth management and asset management and see it more as one discipline as opposed to what has sort of uh, become the norm now, which is sort of two separate silos. So you're thinking about risk and you're thinking about optimization, um, but you're trying to kind of understand the context of wealth for that individual or family. Um, so I've been working with entrepreneurial families who build wealth, generational wealth in various industries um, for, for 10 plus years at least. And, you know, some of the things uh, we're going to touch on today related to crypto I found is also to be found in traditional wealth generation through other technology areas. And I think that's kind of been my way into this, that there is a way uh, to build for something new using old uh, tools and strategies. And, and that's probably something we're going to touch upon quite a bit here. Absolutely. So let's uh, zoom out a bit then soon, because uh, in, in preparing for this episode, you had an excellent way to contextualize what has happened the past 10 to 20 years. You've just touched on it. And in a way, it's not surprising. Technology goes in waves. Uh, there's adoption curves. And over time, new technologies diffuse throughout society. Uh, but some things stay the same. And there are lessons for and best practice from previously that then can be applied to the new context of the technology. So let's zoom out and give us a bit of a history here and how we got to now. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, so again, historically, you can go hundreds of years and you see these waves of kind of innovation, unlocking value in key industries, overcoming bottlenecks and challenges, whether it's been around our transportation or energy, etc. And I think the last two and a half decades, the major lift, the major solutions have been created through a confluence of innovations around digital technologies and it started with what we would call the acon of this which is the semiconductor so probably back in the mid 90s you saw companies entrepreneurs you know having exponential growth in the sense that the computing or the ability of these semiconductors got faster and faster and the price point became lower and lower giving us this what i call the exponential smile um, where you're essentially having this real this real unlocking of things that were not possible or feasible even a few years ago becomes possible because of technology. And we saw that in semiconductors. It translated into, let's say, areas like software. Then we had the internet, the internet starting off kind of the copper lines and into what we are more familiar with today. We had this whole, you know, PC, desktop, through to laptop, through to smartphone, through to app economy, through to kind of a, a digital economy, digital reality that we, we sit in the midst of today. 
And across all of those different fields, you've seen generational wealth being built by early investors and entrepreneurs in those areas. And in my position, working with families who have built wealth in all of those different areas, for me, crypto was somewhat of a natural extension from that. There was people within the technology space and within the finance space that I'd worked with who'd been interested and curious about Bitcoin and some of the other areas of it since very early on. Um, again, probably around the same timeline as Matt, I started seeing that crypto became, for some of these families, really the core activity as opposed to be a side play. And then again, that brought us into this place where now we are looking at what is the next wave. We've had this two and a half decades of kind of building from semiconductors to the smartphone, to the app economy, to the digital economy. And as an investor or as an entrepreneur, when you sit and look out forward, you're kind of thinking what comes next? Where's the next big lift? Where are we unblocking or dealing with bottlenecks that are kind of holding us back? And I think within sort of two key industries that, you know, one of them, the financial industry, feels like it's been digitalized on the front end, but anyone who spends any significant amount of time with a traditional bank or financial markets understand that below the surface, below the smartphone, there is this very analog, centralized, arcane operation that facilitates, uh, be it, you know, transfers of, of, uh, of money around the world or be it transactions in financial markets. And this really needs to be dealt with. And it's a trillion dollar annual industry. And, and my initial interest in the crypto space was really other technologies around the blockchain and the smart contract that may actually have a better way to deal with some of these uh, large market structures that we have built. And that was kind of my way into it. So maybe that's kind of the line through it is this kind of innovation push. And eventually, suddenly, it unleashes all of these different forces and it creates kind of a future that you couldn't have imagined if you started out five years, 10 years ago. Excellent. Indeed. Ways of technological change, unlocking new sources of value, new ways of doing things. And uh, as you say, there are certain folks who have always got their eyes on the horizon looking for new opportunities. Matt, these sound like the kind of people you spend a lot of time with uh, or around in California. It wouldn't surprise you one bit. I don't know how long you've been in California uh, or precisely where you are in California, but uh, anyone who would sit around Silicon Valley over the last 30 to 40 years has now seen two to three waves of change. Now, who are these people who are turning up? You've mentioned one of them already. Uh, when did they start turning up? How many of them are turning up now? And what questions are they asking? Uh, yeah, it's great. It, it, a quick point of clarification. I'm actually physically in Colorado, not in California. We've got, uh -oh. we do have, we do have clients all over the country and, uh, clients kind of around the world, but, uh, no, we're, we're based in the foothills just west of Denver. Um, but I guess by the nature of my practice and my background, I've been able to meet people from all over the country. And like I said, around the world. And, um, I guess the very first client, Bitcoin client zero, I call him, um, came in from, a uh, he, you know, he's a young man with a family and became interested in not just the tax mitigation aspects and kind of the tax uncertainty around dealing with Bitcoin trades and, and Ether trades and things like that. But he had the realization that um, at some point, the wealth that he has built is going to pass to his children. And he wanted to have a sense of stewardship, a sense of responsibility and a sense of order around passing this complex type of asset with significant U.S. denominated value into the hands of the next generation. Um, and 
And ultimately, that's really what estate planning largely deals with is helping people enjoy their wealth now, provide protection around that wealth, mitigate taxes to the extent they can, and ultimately let the people who will ultimately ultimately inherit that wealth become the, the best versions of themselves through that inherited wealth. Um, and because, um, because we figured out how to do sophisticated wealth transfer and estate planning strategies with Bitcoin, uh, the word got out pretty quickly that we had the skill set to address Bitcoin and other crypto asset denominated wealth in really interesting ways. So the next client that we got uh, received a significant amount of Bitcoin in a divorce. Uh, this person uh, didn't know a whole lot about Bitcoin, but when their spouse, when they and their spouse divorced, this client received a very significant number of Bitcoin tokens on a hardware wallet. And this client is in a high income tax jurisdiction. And at the time, uh, you know, Bitcoin, of course, does what Bitcoin does, and it's gone up and down. And we're going to talk about volatility here in a little while. Um, but that wealth has has kind of been on this wave of anywhere from $33 million on the low end to over $600 million on the high end and the kind of points in between. And so um, when this client's wealth was largely denominated in Bitcoin, they were facing significant state level capital gains tax implications anytime they wanted to sell Bitcoin because their Bitcoin was very low basis Bitcoin from a capital gains perspective. So Matt, you've just mentioned something about the divorcee that's reminded me of, of a similar experience years ago when I was a cybersecurity person. I used to go to a lot of hacker events and uh, you know these were kind of edgy things in the, the late 80s and 90s. I'm turning up at around probably 2010 and this hacker conference that one of the most important things they had there was childcare because all of these kind of Hackers had now had families and they couldn't go to a two to three day conference uh, and drink Club Mate all night building stuff because <laughs> their life circumstances had totally changed. It took a couple of decades to happen, but sure enough, there you go. Uh, it's happened again here. You're, the people you get, I sometimes run into in the course of my role. And uh, these are people who, to, to quote one of them, had found some Bitcoin, some Bitcoins like in the, the couch or the lounge cushions. They just had some there and they just didn't know what to do with it. It was on a thumb drive somewhere and they didn't know how to secure it. So they like come in and they're like, help me. What, what am I going to do? I don't even know how to use this thing. Uh, fascinating way in which these things progress over time. And, and when you get these anomalies. And so now I've just kind of like pointed to one element here, which is maybe not obvious to folks. And it's the speed at which this has happened. And uh can you give us a little bit of an idea about the implications of the speed of this change, at least from where you folks sit in this kind of wealth and asset management space? Yeah, I think that's a very important point. Um, so again, back to the point of this essentially is wealth being created through innovation and through technology, and that is not unusual. It's in fact the common the common way of building wealth. I think what I find different with this wave is that for a lot of these guys or girls, it is a much faster process. So. You know, with crypto, everything seems to be at the extremes. And, and that's also kind of been true in terms of the journey of some of these people. So let's say a traditional entrepreneurial person slash family, they may have had an exit and kind of got to do some trial and error stuff at one business. 
then they kind of get to speak to someone like Matt and they get a little bit better at some of the things around it and they do another one five years later and then maybe the third one is the real big one and by that stage they kind of got everything aligned they got a team around them so they kind of get this much more decade-long type process whereas a lot of the people we come into contact with in the crypto space are at a much earlier life cycle stage so maybe they're not to your point about the hackers suddenly needing health care support or child care support around uh, going to a conference that's also quite common here. Maybe the first time when we interact with some of these, they don't have children. Maybe they're just literally kind of six guys sharing a flat with pot noodles. And then nine months later, they they have generational wealth. Yeah. And that, that can do funny things to an individual, specifically if you haven't been in a, in a position of wealth before. And I think if you don't have a support network around you, so again, obviously crypto comes somewhat with a sovereign mindset, certainly sort of an anti-traditional finance, anti kind of, you know, pretty much anything. Uh, besides crypto, and then that can close some doors. And when you're sitting there, suddenly you're having to navigate a very real world because, again, when you're at the tip of the spear of innovation, your eyes are really very much on the horizon and the world you would like to be in that you're building for. But when it comes into the personal side, so when you have this venture or this investment that turns into significant wealth, you're still dealing with the world as it is today. And often some of the initial conversation with someone is really about the fact that there are ways to deal with the tax. There are grown-up ways, so to speak, for how to navigate this. And that's a lot of what we do at Bespoke, essentially, is that we want to meet people who are incredible innovators, incredible smart risk-takers, um, super smart, often in somewhat of a narrow space, um, navigate this next decade out. And you know, I think I joked in our first conversation about me and Matt kind of being the geeky older brothers who are kind of useful to have around when you made a couple of hundred million dollars. And um, because we kind of have a little bit of gray and we kind of know that, you know, we are not out there quite yet, but we definitely want to help you get there. And maybe along the way, our role is more of being the protector next to the builder. And that's kind of what we spoke uh, sort of was inspired by was we were super inspired by these people building this great stuff. But we also felt that on the personal side, it was important that they had the guidance and support to help protect that value they're creating. So Matt, what are some of the things that these people come in and ask? So that one piece would be that they ask for things that they think they need. And then the other piece would be the stuff that they don't even know that they haven't thought about. I suspect I've already said one, which is where I run in security. You know, how do I secure this thing? That's for some of the people. A lot of the other ones would actually like know how to handle the private keys. You've mentioned taxes already, which uh, <laughs> is inevitable, that and death. Um, there's all kinds of other things, though. Uh, so run us through a few of these these maybe obvious and not so obvious things that, that these folks come up and, and you help them with. Yeah. Um, well, you've, you've certainly zeroed in on some of them. Um, for a lot of them, back when, back when Bitcoin was just kind of this silly magic internet money where we could you know, do some quick gambling or throw, throw money around um, without much meaning, people didn't really care a whole lot about um, the security of private key material. Um, because it's the economics weren't relevant, but as Bitcoin became really valuable and then the entire crypto industry grew up around that, we saw significant wealth built. And all of a sudden these people realized that I'm now the, I am now the single weakest link in my security protocol. If something were to happen to me and I were to become incapacitated or be taken advantage of or something or I die then my spouse or my partner or the people that I care about will never be able to get access to this, this crypto asset, these, these key, this, this key material. Um, and 
part of it is in the complexity of, of dealing with key material. And part of it is in the fact that for a lot of these clients who are involved in crypto, their spouse, their partner, their parents, their kids, they don't know nearly as much about crypto or care nearly as much about crypto as they do. And so they might, they may have all this wealth, but this wealth is so new that outside of the crypto asset enthusiast, very few people really understand how this asset works or what to do with it once they receive it. So a lot of times they're thinking about, they, they kind of have this um, realization of human fragility, I guess, and decide, you know, this is meaningful in monetary terms. How do I make sure that this is preserved? Um, for a lot of clients too, it's about how do I intelligently enjoy the wealth that I've built? Um, if, if Bitcoin goes parabolic and now it's you know trading in the tens of thousands or someday even more than that, perhaps they want to enjoy real real world assets that they've gotten that, that they can acquire with this digital wealth. They want to enjoy real estate. They want to buy vehicles. They want to go on nice trips. They want to start real world companies. How do they intelligently enjoy the fruits of their wealth? Part of that includes privacy. Part of that includes asset protection. Um, part of that includes tax mitigation, which you've talked about. Um, but also part of it, Benjamin, is in, you know, how do they, how do they focus on their impact? So many of these clients have received, have achieved escape velocity as far as their wealth is concerned. They, you know, they've, they've gone from being a college student or, a, you know, a young grad in the tech space often to having massive amounts of wealth far beyond what they ever realized. And a lot of these folks are driven by a desire to see the world become a better place. And they know that part of their wealth can be used philanthropically. And so how can they use an, how can they make an impact with their wealth? And I guess the final point that a lot of people come into, which Sunay uh, referenced, is this sense of, of sovereignty and self-determination. A lot of these clients are drawn to Bitcoin specifically and crypto more broadly uh, out of this idea that, um, you know, they can, they can be their own bank in some respects. They can have this digital bearer asset that they can control and nobody can stop them. We have this disintermediated form of wealth. Um, but they also have this realization that, okay, if I don't find an intelligent way to um, create a succession plan around this wealth, that self-determination and sovereignty stops with me. How do I pass that sense of self-determination and sovereignty on to the people that I really care about? Whether that's my siblings, my parents, my kids, my spouse, my partner, whomever. <laughs> I was thinking to myself there, <clears throat> it's come a long way. You mentioned people who want to buy vehicles. You know, it used to be like, what do you, you buy a, a moon Lambo and just kind of burn all your money on, on a car that's just wildly reckless. And uh, you contrast that with basically the picture you've just painted. You know, we often have guests on the show and we've had some of the, the, the founders of these different protocols and uh, research labs and whatnot. And it's true, like a lot of them are kind of driven by this, this visionary thinking. Uh, they genuinely do want to build new things that makes people's lives a little bit easier, to quote Nikola Tesla. And uh, you guys get to run into them all the time. It is not obvious, actually. 
to those folks how uh, as this crypto world starts blurring and becomes part of like just the way things are done uh yeah navigating that transition and making sure you don't put the wrong step forward is is hugely important and yeah it's just kind of blown away by how not obvious it actually would be for a lot of these folks yeah and and i think the i think that's right and um the opportunity that we perceive is that there are very few people in our industry that take these folks seriously um there's you know this is real wealth and this is i mean this is transformational generational wealth that people have built in a very short period of time and in whether it's in the the industry of the practice of law whether it's in tax and accounting or wealth management swiss banking what have you very few professionals take these people very seriously and so um i think that for a lot of our clients that what we see is a lot of them are drawn to crypto because they see they see this innovation they see that there's a better way for something to be done whether it's a better way to create money whether it's a better way to manage the transition of data they see this as innovation and they find themselves they see themselves kind of at the ragged edge of the economy um, but building significant wealth in the process and the the vast majority of i would say maybe um kind of incumbent professional services firms just look at this as a ridiculous form of you know beanie baby money that's not real uh this is you know we see this as real wealth because we see these clients who have built true true wealth that could span generations if managed properly and um i think that a lot of the people that we see are just dying to be taken seriously by professional service providers Yeah, it's something that you know the headlines speak one thing and then if you dig in a bit you see a totally different thing. That's part of the reason we do this podcast. It's it's to sit down and take a serious look at what's going on in the world and uh it's not obvious if you open the the front page of the economist or the FT with crazy stories and whatnot because there is some crazy stuff that goes on but there's crazy stuff that goes on everywhere. I mean, let's <laughs> go and put on entertainment tonight, right? Uh, let's swing a little bit like to a topic that often recurs here, but it's perhaps not obvious to the listeners. And while it might sound dry, it's actually one of the areas right now where there's a lot of movement. That's around jurisdiction and things like regulatory frameworks and, and ways in which kind of public policies are being changed to to kind of adjust to this new technical reality. Suna, you are in Switzerland, and by the way, sorry to the people in Colorado. I, I don't. <laughs> I didn't know Matt was there. But Sune, you are in Switzerland and Switzerland is unique and perhaps not obvious to people why there's so much activity, crypto activity there. But you give us a little bit of a rundown about Switzerland, why Switzerland and uh, what's going on there from where you sit. Yeah, so I think it's an interesting way into it. In fact, <clears throat> what I find with Switzerland is that it it has some ancient elements that we literally have hundreds of years of kind of ingrained part of the culture here part of how to do business part of how to do banking part of how to do asset management that are very closely aligned with a lot of the the values that are within crypto and what has happened here in Switzerland has has been kind of the the way for many years they're an innovation driven economy in many ways so again they always build again constraint they're a tiny country in the middle of the mountains with no commodities and yet they are dominant across many key industries 
And a lot of that has been taking a long-term view and really saying innovation is where we're going to need to focus on because we can't compete at scale, whether that is in pharmaceuticals or engineering um, or finance for that matter. Um, so there is some core concept which I like to make clear and some of the things that attracted me to the to the Swiss model initially was that within Swiss context, the true banks are custodial banks. And that sounds somewhat you know basic, but in true, it is a very, very powerful thing in today's world. Because what that really translates into that it is ingrained in the law here that a Swiss bank, a custodial bank, provides custody for clients, meaning all assets that are held by the bank for that client is title held to that client, as opposed to some of the omnibus slash gray area setups we see in traditional assets, to be fair, in the US, but specifically right now in crypto, um, as obviously kind of hit the headlines, if you would like, around the custody piece. So one of the core things to understand about Swiss banking has always had this title held principle at its core. It has some privacy levels to it. Again, this again, they see as a human right here to have some privacy that you control your data. Again, speaks to some of the ethos of crypto. So that's one building block. So there's always kind of been some of these base pieces. As an asset manager here, you would deem to be a fiduciary, meaning you work for the client. And again, it comes with some privacy and it comes with some, some alignment of interest that is really hard, uh, hardly enforced here from regulators. So those are the two building blocks, whether we're talking crypto or whether we're talking traditional assets. And I think around crypto, again, you kind of have this pragmatic yet innovative mindset, and that has come to the forefront in terms of the regulation here. So I think maybe five, six years ago, you know, the Swiss uh, various regulators and the central bank kind of saw the innovation taking place. I mean, this again was kind of a wave from fintech into the crypto space, and they were sort of, you know, there was companies building across those rails here. And very early on, they embraced the space and essentially said, look, come and speak to us about what it is you want to do. We'll talk to you about if you are stepping into financial services or security offerings, et cetera, how you get to actually operate and build your business within the constraints of protecting investors and you know, creditors in a, in, a, in a transparent way. And then they basically built the regulation sort of somewhat collaborative with industry here. And that has led to a place where today we have true fully regulated digital asset banks we have a whole suite of service providers who've spent years building around the space. You have obviously Souk, which is called the Crypto Valley, but in fact, pretty much every canton here in Switzerland have some kind of digital blockchain-based innovation drive, whether it's through the university or through into industry. Um, and that is this, I mean, here, crypto is pretty normal. You can do pretty much anything you want in crypto, whether you wanna buy ETFs, launch ETFs, be an asset manager, be a hedge fund manager, be a bank. But in the US, you see, so I deal with US families mainly always have. So I get to see the two worlds. And I think the contrast is very stark. Um, so obviously, in the US, you got this massive, massive private wealth market, I think over $100 trillion in private wealth, 80 trillion of that is moving from older generation to younger generation this decade. And you have, you know, an incredible financial industry, a vibrant economy that, you know, draws the world's entrepreneurs, including crypto entrepreneurs to it. Um, and yet they're trying to build right now in very suboptimal circumstances. And we obviously work with some of these as our clients. And we also, you know, spend time in the industry where we're building. So we meet some of these guys who are trying to build, you know, digital asset banks in the U.S. are trying to work in the DeFi space in the U.S. And, you know, their plight is not an easy one currently. And sure, there's been some bad actors as there always are around hype and, and sort of innovation areas. But most of the people I come into contact with in my trips to the U.S., are very serious, smart people trying to build the right way. 
but they don't have the benefit of the framework that we have here. I can't tell you how much this comes up in my discussions with the press, uh, often with clients. It's always one of the items that they ask about. Uh, they don't they don't frame it in terms anymore of like what happens if the government bans it. Uh, that one's gone away. What they will say is, tell me about regulations and what's happening. And I, what you've just done is explain essentially what I have to. Uh, I say Switzerland. Switzerland put forward a very clear framework years ago. Uh, Singapore did as well. And actually listening to your explanation there, I suspect it's for similar reasons. We don't have a lot of mineral wealth. Uh, they do have certain specializations. Uh, they have a, a history and a set of, like, it's very small geographically. So you're able to kind of exert control uh, much more efficiently than you can in, across wide areas. And uh, sure enough, everyone started their businesses in one of those two jurisdictions. It's what economists call clustering because other businesses then then crop up around, especially service providers, and eventually you hit critical mass. I'm fascinated that more policymakers haven't taken ski holidays in Switzerland, read the framework, brought it back to their country and said, look, this thing seems to work. <laughs> the, uh, I know this from my days at OECD. It takes time for these things to kind of percolate or spread throughout the policy circles. But yeah, if folks want any guidance, look at what's happened in Switzerland. It's taken like all of the best parts about kind of a stable and transparent legal and regulatory system and integrated this new technology uh, as like usually happens with most ways of technological change. Anyway, we're going to come up on time relatively soon. But before we do that, I wanted to see uh, the future. Uh, it could be a little bit of the present. It can be future looking. Matt, from where you're sitting, what are kind of like, if you had to speak to the listeners and tell them a few areas to keep an eye on now or into the future, what would they be? Uh, and the, the less obvious they are, the better. <laughs> um, I'd like to address that. Before I do, Benjamin, can I, can I circle back to the jurisdiction conversation? Of course, for please do. Um, because there's a, you know, Sunay really talks a lot about the, the benefits of Switzerland from a from where to own your assets. Um, but I also want to spend a moment on talking about how to own those assets. Um, here in the United States, we have the luxury to a certain degree of having just very diverse state level legislation and regulation around ownership structures. And here in the context of strategic legal planning, often we're looking at creating various types of trusts or other entities that draw on benefits that are unique to specific jurisdictions within the United States. So there are some jurisdictions like Tennessee, South Dakota, Wyoming, Nevada, New Hampshire. There, there are certain states within the United States that offer unique planning opportunities, regardless of the, regardless of the nature of the underlying asset whether we're dealing with real estate or venture capital or closely held equities or crypto assets, um, we can take advantage of specific planning opportunities within jurisdictions in the United States that create higher levels of privacy, higher levels of asset protection, higher levels of inheritance preservation um, than other states and certainly than other jurisdictions around the world. And, uh, for for what it's worth, at least for the time being, the United States is, you know, really some of the states within the United States are the last havens of true privacy in the world. 
And so whether clients want to create trusts in South Dakota or Wyoming or Nevada, these other jurisdictions, we can create the frameworks for ownership within these various jurisdictions. Or maybe if we want to move offshore, maybe we create something in the Cook Islands or some other offshore protective jurisdiction. But that creates the jurisdiction under which we own the assets. But then we have to consider where are those assets held in custody? And that's really where Swiss custody or Liechtenstein custody come into play. So we might have, for example, a South Dakota entity or a, or a Wyoming entity or a Cook Islands entity to take advantage of the jurisdictional opportunities from a legal strategy perspective. But then we might take advantage of Switzerland or Liechtenstein from an asset custody perspective. So now we have solved for the how to own the assets under what jurisdictional um, regime and where do we actually custody those assets from a custodial regime to create the, the optimal solution for, for these clients. So it's, you know, if you, if you're just a U.S. person and you have assets in the Swiss bank account, um, whether it's crypto assets or regular assets, that's going to give you some jurisdictional security from the custody perspective, but the underlying ownership is still vulnerable. We can put the underlying ownership of those assets in a protected structure in a private jurisdiction like South Dakota or Wyoming or the Cook Islands. And then we have the assets offshore in Switzerland or in Liechtenstein. And so now we have not only secured custody, we have secured ownership as well. Got it. Thank you for that clarification. Indeed, it's a complicated terrain. State level laws are always changing in the United States. Um, actually, it's where a lot of the action is right now. Uh, Wyoming, Texas. Yeah, it is. And I think that really kind of gets to the future casting a little bit to a certain degree, Ben, is that um, as, as all your listeners are aware, um, the whole crypto space is very much um, in rough waters, I think, to a certain degree from a regulatory perspective, at least at the national level. Um, it's you know, we see uh, people in Congress, we see various uh, regulatory bodies starting to take a very, um, taking a very hard look at crypto in the United States and, and what, you know, what the U.S.'s official posture will be. We also see among the various states uh, an uprising of, um, of opportunity. We see people in Florida, we see people in Texas, we see people in Wyoming who are in leadership positions who are really focused on uh, driving the crypto industry forward in the US. I think that um, at least for the near term, the fallout from FTX and Three Arrows Capital and the collapse of the Terra Luna regime, uh, I think we're gonna see some repercussions for a while, uh, some ripple effects in the US. Um, but I think that's going to be short-lived. I believe that um, perhaps as early as 2024, with the new presidential election cycle and a new con congressional cycle, uh, I think we might see a bit of a changing of the guard, perhaps, in some of the regulatory bodies. And I think that uh, there are enough people on both sides of the aisle in Congress that realize that... Um, Crypto is, is an inevitability in many respects. It is the future of 
innovation, it's the future of wealth. And nations that have that are taking a they're taking a more open view, Switzerland, uh, Dubai, other other parts of the world that are taking a um, a more open stance uh, are going to be the ones that succeed. And I think that that I'm, I'm optimistic that as time progresses and a younger generation of lawmakers um, begin to take over in the halls of power in the United States, I think that we're going to see that the United States becomes a true, um, a true force in crypto asset innovation. Um, but I think until we have that time, I think until we have that changing of the guard over the next few years, I think we may be in a, a little bit difficult spot in the US. Yeah, it takes time. Listeners know that I lived in Washington for a while explaining Bitcoin and cybersecurity to folks on the Hill and other three and four letter agencies. And this was five, seven years ago. Like you, just, you couldn't see Blanca says. <laughs> it's totally different now. There's tons of activity there. It's a question of how long it will take and which direction. Sunni, looking out onto the horizon, uh, what are the kind yeah. of things that have got your attention and that you're tracking? Yeah, so I think maybe, I mean, I think Matt is, is spot on with, with his summary there, but I think maybe to come at it a little bit differently, I think the right now is truly about how to own specifically in the US. So we got to get to a place again, if you want to build something, you got to give people the ability to own those things that they're building in the right way. So we're going to need to figure out the custody. Again, the model of Switzerland is probably where we're going to go. I know state trust banks have title held asset as a core piece as well. So then harkens back to the old times and that speaks to a new generation which i really like to see um i think it's um, Matt touched on a lot of the planning piece i think if you are in crypto right now the right now should be about the how to own there's no better time to put a planning structure in place than before you have the big lift before you have the lawsuit before you have to think about legacy planning so the earlier you can speak to someone uh, about planning the better so i think the planning piece and the custody piece is where I think right now should be focused on. But what I think is much more important for, for everyone in the space um, and where the opportunity is for the future is in the what to own, because I think it's super early in that space. I think we have Bitcoin, which is one thing. It's built the network effect around it. It has a pretty clear use case. But for me, everything else as an asset manager, I would deem as venture capital. It's very early. It's idea stage. A lot of these are solving for things that hasn't quite even found a problem to solve in some cases, or they're kind of just scratching the surface on what's possible back to our starting point of the conversation. Who could afford, you know, when you had the first internet on your on your aunt's dial-up phone, that you would now be able to watch live sports literally on, on this supercomputer in your hand. So I think in the crypto space, uh, let's use that as the term, we are super early across applications. And I think that is super exciting. So I think on the horizon is really, I'm hoping that we can get rid of some of the noise, some of the, the purple Lamborghini talk. And I think also the, certainly the Western media covers crypto as some sort of entertainment. So it's always the most extreme. It's the bad actors. Um, it's the Dogecoin. It's all of this nonsense that gets all the coverage, whereas the quiet people who are essentially working to try and fix things and build real stuff, they don't get that attention. And when you travel a little bit outside the Western world, whether it's in Asia or in Africa or other places, Latin America, you're realizing that they're leapfrogging through fintech. You know, So they're, they're on their smartphones. They don't have banking. They don't have currencies. They don't have access to asset markets. And that is probably where it's much more interesting at the innovation level in some ways. And I think 
you know, a 40 year old farmer in India is probably more likely to adopt some of this stuff through his smartphone than a 65 year old person in Florida, because for them it's all Dogecoin and kind of some crazy internet money. Whereas in other places you're actually solving real hard problems for individuals. And I think that is when, when, when I look at it, I'm super excited about the innovation and the actual build that is happening within the space. While I know most of the coverage is really on the noisy stuff, and I think that's a bit of a shame. But for some, for investors, I think that's also a little bit of an opportunity. And I think for entrepreneurs, it's an even bigger opportunity. If you're really building today, you must be building in that area if you really want to try and solve hard problems and and do something that can scale. Sunil, I couldn't put it better myself. You've touched on so many topics that I want to unpack, but unfortunately, we've run up on time. But that's okay. This always happens. It means it's been a good discussion and it means that in the future we'll have to have you back. Um, how can find people find you folks on the interwebs? Matt, uh, either you or Bespoke? Um, well, Bespoke's website is simply www.bespokegroup.io. Um, and then they can always find me on LinkedIn. Uh, and then I'm also on Twitter occasionally at uh, McClintock underscore M. Excellent. Sune, where can people find you? I would suggest you start with the Bespoke website, which tells our story well, I think. And then if you really want to get into a live direct conversation, again, LinkedIn for the boring people and Twitter for those who like to get a little wild. And my Twitter handle is at uh, librarian views, librarian views. Yeah, so we can maybe put that in your, in your show notes because it's a little hard to spell out today without taking half an hour for it. Absolutely. We'll put in the, in the notes. Go find uh, Sunni, the librarian. You find him on Twitter. He's easy to find. He has nice pictures of walks around like lakes in, in Switzerland. It'll really inspire like some blue it, sky yeah. thinking. Hey, Sunni. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So to close up the episode, uh, social media shout outs, Wisdom Tree Prime, join the wait list. WisdomTreePrime.com. Do it. You'll like it. It's coming. You can find me at Benjamin Dean and you should hit subscribe. Subscribe. Then you'll get the episodes from us when they are launched. As a reminder, if anybody wants us to cover any specific topics in the future, uh, if you want to find out more information, you can use the email, style mail option, cryptoclarified at wisdomtree.com. You'll find us all over social media and the interwebs. Thank you again, Matt and Suni, and thank you to all of those who listened. It's been a thrill.